there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, we'll chat with Courtney Violet Bentley, host of the Fit, Fierce, and Fabulous podcast, about her journey back from anorexia, bulimia, and a lack of mentality. Also on the show today, a listener who lost a dog is having trouble sleeping, and I've got a personal message for the romantic and intimate partners of people who are grieving. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches about the transformational power of grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much for listening today. So before I get into the top of the show, I want to prime you for an upcoming episode, our second fun one episode, which will be episode 20. This is all about grief and the five love languages. So if this is your first time listening, or if you haven't been listening for very long, every 10th episode of Coming Back, I'll take a break from tips and resources and interviews to talk about grief in one fun or interesting element of pop culture. So for episode 20, which will air on September 27th and about a month from now, we'll do a deep dive into Gary Chapman's popular bestseller, The Five Love Languages. In this book, he writes that learning and identifying the five love languages, and they are gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and quality time, identifying those five are the key to unlocking happiness and true communication in your marriage or intimate partnership. But what's cool about the five love languages is that they can apply to relationships beyond marriage. So for family, friends, coworkers, kids, all relationships, and they can apply to grief as well. So for somebody whose love language is gifts, they might request a charitable donation or a canned food drive at their funeral. For somebody whose love language is quality time, their divorce may have hinged largely on the fact that they felt abandoned or ignored or unheard by their partner. For somebody whose love language is physical touch, a massage or a foot rub after going through chemo might mean the entire world. So I would love if you would call or write in with your thoughts on grief's connection to Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages book for our second fun one episode, which again will air on September 27th. Uh, The deadline to submit your thoughts to me is Wednesday, September 20th, and you can always submit at 312-725-3043 by leaving a text or a voicemail or at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. So this week on the show, I want to address a question that's been coming up a lot in my space. And that is, what about the partners of people who are grieving? So last week on the show, I interviewed Vasavi Kumar, and we talked about her recent loss of control and loss of self when she physically assaulted her partner. And what followed the assault was a period of grief where she took responsibility for her actions and got the help she needed. And they're still in a relationship today, but they are totally different people to each other than they were before as a result of the loss. And that got me thinking, in my own grief story, I was in a relationship when my mom died. My girlfriend and I had been dating for over a year, and my mom's death totally transformed how we dealt with each other. In a way, I guess you could say we both experienced loss when she died, because while I lost my mom, my girlfriend 
lost me. And we ended up breaking up less than three months after she died. What I want to express to you today is that grief, and you know this, grief growers, grief does not exist in a vacuum. It doesn't exist in a bubble. So when you lose, or when somebody else in your life loses, that grief from the loss radiates outward. And often this quote unquote, secondhand grief affects intimate partners first, because they're the closest people in your little, in your bubble, in your sphere. So I want to give you three things to remember this week. If you're the partner of somebody who's just experienced a loss, whether that loss is death or divorce or diagnosis or anything else. So the first thing you want to remember is that your partner is grieving. And this kind of seems basic, but follow me here. Grief is defined as the collection of emotions experienced surrounding the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. Your partner has received news that has somehow changed their life, information that they have to figure out how to accommodate and to make room for. And that takes time and it takes work and it takes energy. Their normal, their idea of normal does not exist anymore. And they're figuring out how to deal with that in their own way. So that sometimes manifests as traits and habits that they normally hold being more pronounced. They might do or be or say things that they've never done or been or said before. They may disengage. They may lash out. They may totally abandon household responsibilities or engage in some kind of reckless behavior. It is all fair game when you're grieving. The second thing I want you to remember is that you are grieving. You may not believe it right now, or you may finally be hearing words for what you've been feeling, but watching your partner grieve and go through this transformational process has and can produce grief of your own. Your partner that you're in an intimate, emotional, and more than likely physical relationship with has changed, and you are left to deal with the ramifications of that, positive and negative. Just like your partner, traits and habits that you normally hold may become more pronounced. You may do or be or say things that you've never done or been or said before. You may disengage, you may lash out, you may abandon household responsibilities or engage in reckless behavior. Again, it is all fair game when you're grieving. The last thing that I want to say, the last point I want to make today, and that ties these both together, is that your grief is valid as a partner, just as your partner's grief is valid. And there is a way through. I will say that again. Your grief is valid, just as your partner's grief is valid. This earthquake that started with a death or a divorce or diagnosis or other loss rocked your partner first, and the aftershocks are coming your way, and they're coming your way fast, and they are big, and they're unexpected, and you're not going to ride them perfectly. Let me make that so, so clear. But your emotions in this are just as valid as theirs and deserve to be acknowledged, whether you're a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a caregiver, a husband, a wife, a spouse, a common-law marriage partner, whoever you are in their lives, you see and know them more closely than anyone. But how do you acknowledge their feelings when you're going through so, so much? Both of you are carrying this. You give yourself and your partner empathy and respect 
and communication. Just open your eyes to recognize the fact that both of you are grieving. If it's at all possible in your brain or in a journal or out loud, name your emotions and your feelings if you can. Do this with your partner if it's helpful to you and get, 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 please get help and support through this. I cannot stress this enough, grief growers. Do not carry your partner's grief alone. It is so, so isolating thinking you have to be the one to carry their pain. So talk to your family or your friends. Talk to your therapist or join in a community group for grievers if you can. You are considered a griever because your partner is grieving. Don't think that invalidates you. You can read books or memoirs or <laughs> listen to podcasts where people share their stories of grief and loss and know that you are 100% allowed to grieve the fact that grief has forever changed your relationship with your partner. You can want to go back. They probably want to go back. But you must live in a world and a space where you can't. You don't have another option. And it sucks and it sucks and it sucks. Things will change. You may try everything you know how to and still break up. You might stay together. You might have to change more than you have ever thought you would as a result of them changing. Whatever comes as a result of this loss, hold empathy and respect and communication the highest above all. You have got this. You do. If you need help, if you're looking for that supportive community, navigating a relationship with someone, a partner who is grieving, join my private Facebook group, The Grief Growers Garden. We would be so, so glad to support you through this. Next up, I'll answer a listener question about not being able to sleep after a loss. Dear Shelby, I lost my dog Lily two weeks ago. I live out on a farm in a rural area, and while I was out doing chores, I heard her yelp and turned to see her get pinned under a pickup truck that was going way too fast for nine o'clock in the morning. The driver of the truck felt terrible and was crying and apologizing and was just as shaken as I was. We rushed her to the closest vet, which took about 20 minutes, but by the time we got there, it was too late. I was faced with paying a hefty vet bill, which could possibly save her life or with putting her down. I said goodbye less than an hour later, and the driver of the truck dropped me off at home that afternoon. Lily was an older dog and lived a good life on the farm, and I did get to say goodbye, so I'm not upset about that. But what really hurts right now is that it's been two weeks and I still can't sleep. I lie awake at night expecting her to be snoring on her rug next to the bed, but of course she's not there. Right now I toss and turn until morning, getting a max of maybe three hours of sleep. I don't know how to fall asleep without her here, and I can't get used to waking up in the morning without hearing her tail thumping with my alarm. I miss her so bad, but I feel like if I could just get some sleep, I could start working through my grief. How can I sleep when my heart is so broken? Signed, Snorless in the South. Hi, Snorless. I am so Sorry about the loss of your loving farm dog, Lily. She sounds like a total sweetheart, and I am so sad for you not getting to do the day-to-day -day things with her anymore. 
I'm sure you've seen your share of life and death on the farm, but that doesn't discount the fact that you formed a long-term relationship with her, and she was your companion for many, many years. I want to get right to the heart of your question and get to some practical tips for sleeping after a loss. I'll let you know if you want to look this up later that most of these come from an article by Psychology Today called Exhausted Grief Can't Sleep After the Death of a Pet, and I'll post this on my Facebook page later this week. The first thing they advise is to stick to a sleep schedule. This looks like going to sleep and waking up at the same time each day. If you don't do this already, I know this one has affected my life positively, especially right after my mom died. I read Gretchen Rubin's book called Better Than Before, and the section on setting a bedtime alarm, I immediately set one on my phone and have had one now for three years. I do the best that I can to get my head on the pillow less than a half hour after that alarm goes off, and I know that if I do, I am prepped and set for a full night of sleep. If you're not sure what time you should be going to sleep to have to wake up at a certain time, I highly recommend checking out sleepytie.me, which is spelled S-L-E-E-P-Y-T-I dot M-E. It's a website. You can either go um, plug in the time that you're going to sleep to see when you should wake up, or you can plug in the time you have to wake up to figure out the time that you need to go to sleep. And this syncs with your REM cycles, so you wake up feeling more rested based on what time you go to sleep or what time you have to wake up. Secondly, Psychology Today suggests trying relaxing rituals before bed, and these can be guided visualizations like the one I recorded on last week's podcast episode, episode 15. You can listen to meditations, which you can always find for free on YouTube, soft music if you have a favorite composer, repeating affirmations like, today I lay my cares down, or sleep welcomes me, whatever resonates with you. These rituals can give you a place to ground and can help ease the ramping up of anxiety and the racing thoughts of grief that can sometimes haunt you when you try to sleep. Third, uh, they suggest trying products that help you sleep. So some givens are like hot tea, melatonin, or like lavender pillow sprays, but I'm sure everybody kind of has their favorites. I personally put blackout curtains and a sleep mask in my room and found that these really work well for me. I also use a free app on my phone called Rain rain, like the rain that falls from the sky, that provides a list of free white noises that I can select and mix together to drown out the street noise outside my house. I know you probably heard the siren earlier in this podcast. Uh, I hear a lot of those at night. And so I can drown that out. And it also drowns out my brain a little bit if it's wide awake. My favorite combination of sounds right now is jetliner, city rain, and forest rain. And you can try out a bunch of different rain sounds to see which ones work for you. You can set an alarm on there to go off at a certain time or just have it on your phone and turn it off in the morning. I want to tell you, Snorless, that our bodies are very, very, very conscious of our grief. They tend to express it in ways that we can't control, and especially when our bodies keep us up at night, it's really frustrating and can feel hopeless, especially if it goes on for a while. So if these suggestions or these apps or these products or these meditations don't start to work for you, I would definitely advise that you head down to a doctor or a therapist in town and talk about other ways you can get your body to disengage or unplug before going to sleep at night. It might be participating in a grief recovery group or a therapy session or taking a sleep aid for a short time or even seeing a specialist like an energy worker or a physical therapist. Ultimately, Snorless, I wish you peace and I wish you sleep. 
like the safe, secure, sound sleep that you provided for Lily on the floor next to your bed. I just love that visual for you. This experience is super difficult, and I'm so sorry for the traumatic way that it happened, but sleeping after this is not impossible, and I definitely have faith in you to find what works. Please submit your question for the show by leaving a voicemail or texting 312-725-3043 or emailing shelby at shelbyforsythia.com, and you can always find both of these contacts in the show notes. Next up, we'll talk to Courtney Violet Bentley about the losses that shaped her lack of mentality and how she found her way through to empower others. As a recovered self-hater, Courtney Bentley came to self-love through exercise, affirmations, and treating her body like a temple, all while living a fabulous life. Courtney is a certified personal trainer, precision nutritionist, behavioral transformational coach, and a motivational speaker. She specializes in helping women achieve a fit body while boosting self-love, rocking a life with confidence, and boosting a smile every single day. She is the host of the Fit, Fierce, and Fabulous podcast, which I love listening to, and the creator of the Fit and Fabulous Club. Well, welcome to the show, Courtney. I'm so excited to have you here. Per your intro, I know that loss is a part of your story, a part of your podcast, but I would love for you to tell us exactly what your loss story is and then how it's impacted your life today. Sure. So I actually have three mini loss stories, unfortunately. But when I was a little girl, my father was diagnosed with kidney cancer. So as a young girl, I had to deal with, you know, running back and forth from the hospital, not really being sure what's going on because I was so young. And you know, that whole thing where it's just a slow deterioration. And one day the man that used to take you to karate class and take you for McDonald's is, is gone. And, you know, I grew up with an amazing mother and a great support system of my grandma and my grandpa, but I always felt a lack of through my entire life. There was a lack of that feeling of not having enough, that, that emotion of not being enough was kind of my whole story. Later on in life, I lost my grandfather. And with that loss, we found out a lot of dark secrets about him and living a double life. And my poor grandma, who'd always been there for me, which was my dad's mom, watching her basically crumble and just watching her get her strength back to be strong again after learning that my grandfather lived a double life. And had another girlfriend and it was like a whole dramatic thing. And then later on in life, I lost that same grandma. And that was very recent, actually last year. And in each one of those lessons with the men, my dad and my grandpa, I learned mindset of lack of in my life. And when my grandmother passed away last year, I had this mindset of, I need to figure out what I'm lacking in my life so that I can start having more fun. So I can live a life that I look back on and I'm like, damn, I did some cool stuff. So up until this point, I had this lifestyle of lack of, I'm not enough on Instagram. I'm not enough to be a great coach. I'm not enough to have a great online presence. And then my grandmother passed away and I was like, F that, I am enough. I need to start having more fun. I need to start playing more. I need to get out in my life and explore and see things and 
in the last like year, I've just, I've gone to New York, New Hampshire, Cabo, launched a podcast and doubled my income with my business because now I feel like I'm worth the money. I'm (laughs) worth putting myself out there. And I've just completely had a different look on life because of this cycle that I've experienced. So talk about living in not enough. What does that feel like for you? Well, growing up, I danced. I was a ballerina and wow. Yeah. So my entire life I danced until I was 16 and boys seemed more interesting. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) screw practicing and working out, you know, waking up at 8am on Saturday morning, I want to go out and party and have fun. And I started liking boys and obviously I didn't have a father figure. So I didn't really know what that relationship looked like. And as a young teenage girl, I mean, we all go through it. We start comparing ourselves to other people. We start looking around and seeing, you know, I'm not thin enough. I'm not, you know, my, my curves aren't good enough. My hair is not straight enough. I mean, all of these thoughts and feelings happen to most girls at a young age, like 13 years as they're going through puberty. And for me, it just tumbled down to a whole nother level. And I ended up having a really severe eating disorder. And when I say severe eating disorder, I mean a disorder where I needed to feel like I was in control because I didn't feel like I was enough because I felt so much lack in my life. I had to take control some way. And that way was through my food, because that was one thing that no matter what anybody did or said, I could control that. So I became a bulimic and anorexic and I would starve myself. I would work out after every time I ate something, I would purge, I would eat, I would purge. And then at 19, I became vegan and I wasn't vegan for the right reasons. I was vegan because I thought that it would help me lose weight quicker. And it also gave me a stand where I could take control. So I could go out to eat and I could be like, oh, I'm vegan. I can't eat anything here. And it also gave me an excuse and a way out of eating food. And it gave me a way out of social situations. And it gave me a way out of a million different things. It wasn't until I actually met my now husband who empowered me through exercise. And that was a huge transition for me in my life and having his love and having him tell me I was enough really helped me and put me in the right direction. Now I still had some other lack of in terms of finances, lack of in terms of, uh, you know, this whole social media world we live in now, which changed after my grandmother passed. But for the most part, my bulimia came out and I'm able to comfortably speak about it because I was able to empower my body through movement and exercise. So that is kind of my dealio (laughs) and where everything stems from. I'm interested in if moving your body kind of hearkened back to your earlier days as a dancer, or if you feel like now the movement feels totally different in your body, how is that, how is that helping you come back and how did it empower you? Was it different? Was it the same as movement? Like your inherent, I don't want to call it a coping mechanism, but like your go-to It is. So I loved weights and it wasn't just dance or cardio or like spending hours and hours on the treadmill or doing like 500 sit-ups or 600 squats or whatever, you know, is popular on Pinterest. It was lifting weight 
and to lift weight that's heavier than myself and to know that I could do a pull-up and to know that I could squat 200 pounds, knowing that I could deadlift a person out of a building if I had to, that I could leg press 300 pounds, being able to do those things is empowering for a little lady who's 5'1 and didn't have like a male figure in her life to help raise her. Like, I I mean, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast, but I'll just, I, I feel like I'm the shit. Like I'm a badass, you know, being able to do those things just, it lights you up, especially as a female. I feel like it just lights you up in such a like dominant way because as females, we're usually not the dominant figure. We're usually nurturing and caring and we're always willing to give up ourselves to help someone else. But when I lift, I feel empowered and I feel strong and I feel like no one can hurt me or no one can take anything away from me. And that feeling is so, it's just magnificent. And I love it. And I love teaching other women to feel that way too. And it sounds like something that you can tap into for yourself. When I walk into the gym, it's a not about getting skinny. It's not about losing another inch on my waist. You know, fortunately, working out and moving my body and exercising that way has shaped my body. And I love my strong body and I think it looks beautiful. And that's been the the pro of, of putting myself into those workouts. But really stepping into the gym is for my head. And I think that's where a lot of people get the notion wrong. They're like, oh, I just want to go to the gym so I can get a, you know, a bigger butt. And I'm like, why don't you just go to the gym to, you know, create that space and that time of empowerment, empowering your body for that 40 minutes or hour or whatever, you know, think of it that way. When you think of it that way, it becomes fun. It becomes a challenge. It becomes whatever you want to make it a performance. It doesn't become about losing weight. I'm really curious to know the story of when you discovered or how you discovered that lack of was your story. When did I discover that? Um, okay, crazy story. You ready for this? Absolutely. So I've been into psychics and tarot cards and all that for forever. I don't even know. Like I was meditating before I even knew what meditating was. And I went to this lady, she was at this, uh, God, it was like a spiritual, like metaphysical store. And every Saturday she was there and I went in and she told me that my biggest fear in life was death. And I I know that sounds really weird, but she said, "Your, your biggest fear in life is death. And you feel like you're on a stopwatch. She said, turn off the stopwatch and stop feeling like you're gonna die. And it was weird because I started crying and then I went home and I wrote in my journal and I wrote, why do I feel like I'm not enough? I don't even know how those two relate to each other. Like saying it, I'm like, how does that even work in my head? But it did in that moment. It was like, where do I feel like I'm not enough? And then again, it came up again. I had a friend, I was working as a waitress and someone gave me like 10 bucks for a beer. Like their beer was like $5 and they gave me $10 tip. And I was like really excited. And my girlfriend goes, he should have given you a 20. And I was like, what? I was like, no, this is awesome. This is 10 bucks, like for a beer. Like I barely did anything. And she was like, she's like, uh, you should always expect more. And then I was kind of like, huh? I'm like, why do I not think bigger? And that kind of like shifted things for me too. And it's kind of weird, like saying the stories, they're kind of like, wait, what? But it's just sometimes little things that happen to you. And you're kind of like, wait, wait a minute. I'm supposed to think bigger. I'm supposed to want more. I'm supposed to feel like 
I deserve more, that I'm worthy of more. And so I think just like little things like that, I felt like the universe was kind of nudging me and like, okay, Courtney, like you need to step up your game and like feel like you are a powerful person and that you can make an impact and feel like you're worthy of making moves in life and that you don't have to just feel stuck all the time. You don't feel like you always have to feel like you're, you know, not enough or pretty enough or strong enough or good enough or whatever. So I think it was just like little things like that that just kind of kept happening. And it just kind of started getting me to question myself. How did you wake up to coming back from the losses you'd experienced and this mentality of there is not enough in my life, I don't have enough? What kind of sparked that process for you? Well, what really shifted things for me is the the man I'm married to now, I call him Mr. B. I met him. <laughs> I love that. That's so sweet. I call him Mr. B. I met him and he took me, he loves the gym. He loves to work out. He's like a bodybuilder by hobby, not by profession, just what he loves to do. And of course, you know, when you like a guy, what do you do? You're kind of like all of a sudden you're into UFC when you could care less about it before. Like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I love working out and lifting weights when before you had no interest in it. But he took me to the gym and we started lifting together. And I was super into Pilates at this point. I was getting my Pilates certification and I was like so afraid to lift weights, so afraid to grab like the five pound weight. I was like, oh my God, that I'm going to get gross looking. I'm going to get bulky. And, and he was like, listen, just, he's like for a few weeks, why not try it? He's like, what's the worst that happens? Go back to your old ways. If you don't like the way you start to look or whatever. So I was like, I liked him. That was like kind of, I think the catalyst was that I was like falling in love with this guy. So I was like, okay, I'll try it. And the next thing you know, I'm lifting weights and I'm loving it. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm just like, wow, I feel amazing right now. I feel empowered. I feel strong. Like I can take this confidence, this newfound confidence that I'm getting and start start taking things to another level in my life, you know, going for that job interview that I really want, uh, getting my personal training certification because I want to help other people. It just started giving me the confidence to take small steps forward. It wasn't like a giant leap that I took. It was just little by little. I started taking these steps that amped up my confidence and amped up my feeling of worthiness in the world and showing that like, I can, I have a purpose here on this planet and, that I am enough to actually serve my purpose on this planet. And literally it was just little steps, little things that I kept doing that made me feel more empowered. And each, each day that I went to the gym was that small step for me. I love that. And where were your loved ones in your mind during this whole process? Did they come up for you at all? Oh, always. Um, Whenever I would go into one of my bulimia spells, I would always like see, my like my dad passing away or I would always see like a painful scene and then a few years into like my growth of becoming this personal trainer and training other women and gaining confidence I saw a Reiki healer and this Reiki healer did some healing on me and she put her hand over my heart and she's like it feels like your heart's in like a dungeon And we started talking and she was like, I feel like there's something in your past that you never faced. And she told me that I needed to revisit and go back to this place where I was a little girl watching my dad pass away and forgive all of that and let all that go. Holy crap. Yeah. 
And That's a big, I'm feeling that over yeah. here right now. It's just huge, like a stone is sinking right in the middle of your chest. Because yeah. it is not, you're like, why would I even do that to myself? Yeah. It, it was literally like, I couldn't breathe after she said that. Like I still, it still gives me chills because it was was so pivotal in my life. She's like, the reason that you feel lack of and not worthy. And the reason that you, you like, you're not taking that leap is because you haven't gone back to that place and forgiven your dad for passing and forgiven, you know, and seeing that it happened for you and not to you. I think that's a big one is that she, when she said that to me, she said, it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. And this experience is going to help you serve other people and help you help other people. And when she said that it like light bulbs and lightning bolts came out of my head and it was just like, wow. So she helped me through going back to that place, taking me back to from the fine detail of what outfit I was wearing when he passed away to the last thing I said to him. She took me back to that scene and going back to that place was really hard. I won't lie, but doing it really took me from, you know, taking small steps to big steps and not being afraid and not feeling like I was being weighed back. It let, it took those rocks out of my heart. You know, it just let me move forward. I think there's a big power in, in going back and resolving what was left unresolved or, or facing what we have yet to face. Yes, because it's so easy. I actually, I had someone tell me this, that it's like flexing a muscle. It becomes so easy to just push the pain down, push Mm -hmm. the pain away. And something that happens to you when you're so little, I mean, you don't understand it. Like when someone passes away, when you're an adult, you may have questions, but you can grasp the fact that people pass away. You can grasp the fact that people get sick and it's sad and it sucks, but it happens and you understand it. But when you're little, you don't understand. Like, you still think your teacher lives at school. Like, I remember thinking my teacher lived (laughs) under her desk. Like, I mean, you just, the reality of death is just not there at that age. So I think that I just kept shoving it down and that I really needed to kind of face it again as an adult, understanding that death happens and there's a grieving process and, you know, time heals all, but it's still there and it still hurts and it's still painful sometimes. But just facing that moment again was pivotal in my life because I would have probably to this day kept shoving it down, shoving it down, shoving it down. And it would have been one of those things that kept holding me back. Where is your relationship with death right now? Because I know that was one of the first things that psychic said to you is you were afraid of dying. And even going back to this place where your dad was dying is a scary as hell place to go back to. So where does death fit into the picture of your life right now? How do you see it? I don't, I'm not afraid of it anymore because I'm living a life that I'm, that if I died tomorrow, I would feel like I've done what I'm supposed to do on this planet. And I feel like that I, because after my grandmother passed away last year and I've just been saying yes more, saying yes to adventure, saying yes to having another glass of wine sometimes and just living a life, an actual life and not being restricted and not not doing this, you know, weird restriction thing I was always doing most of my life. It's been so freeing and I'm in such a 
happy and great place now that I'm not afraid to die anymore. Cause like, I think before I was always afraid to die because I felt like there was so much I hadn't done and so much that I hadn't experienced. I'm interested in talking about where you see not just death, but lack of, or your own personal story coming in when you work with your clients today? Like, how do you see them as a mirror of you and how do you walk them through it? Oh, this happens time and time again. I meet so many women who have a lack of confidence. They've had either a bad breakup with a long-term boyfriend that has made them feel like they're not pretty enough or deserving enough to have another man in their life. I have worked with women who, uh, it's, it always comes down to that, whether it's like each person's story is unique to them. Each path that we all walk is unique to our life path, but the lack of is there like 90% of the time with the women that I meet who have weight loss struggles. It's never that they don't know that they have, you know, that eating cookies at midnight is not a good idea. Like that's never the thing. Like me telling them like, to, <laughs> to stop eating, you know, processed food is in stop eating cookies every day is not like revolutionary to them. Like that's, that's not the issue. The issue is that they're not empowered enough in their own body to love where they're at at that moment and to move forward with new healthy tools and lifting weights and feeling great and confident. And with me, I always, most of the time start my clients with just lifting. We just start lifting and they start feeling more confident in their life, whether it's asking for a raise at work or it's going on a date with a a guy that they just met. It's living their life because they have a little bit more confidence. And then the food kind of just falls into place. I find a lot of times they just start working out and they're like, I want to feel a little better. You know, maybe I should eat more vegetables. I want to feel stronger in the gym. Maybe I need to look at how much protein I'm eating. It all just kind of falls into place once they start taking care of themselves and just feeling better about who they are and and how they're presented in the world. I feel like that's a huge thing too. It's like you are worthy enough to to you know go get your nails done. You are worthy and strong enough to go, you know, ask for a raise at work. You deserve it. You know, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it starts with them. It does. And then it also helps, I think, what I'm hearing from your story too, to have somebody in your life to literally stand in front of a mirror with you and say, look how strong you are. Yeah. And and I always make my clients do this exercise and it's standing naked in, in a mirror and telling themselves that they love themselves. Literally like butt naked in a mirror, looking at yourself down the eye and saying, I love you is one of the most empowering things that you can do. It's like, I've heard stories of girls like crying. I've heard girls, stories of girls laughing. I've heard stories where women have turned on music and started dancing naked because they just felt so good. Like, (laughs) I mean, there's so many emotions that come out when you, when you do something like that, because so many times you don't want to look at yourself in the mirror. You don't want to put on a dress because you're scared. You look big. You don't want to, you know, you want to hide yourself because you don't feel like you're pretty enough. I mean, there's just so many things that happen when you have a lack mentality. I want to touch on two more resources that I know we talked about pre recording. And that is your friend, Michelle, and a book that you read that kind of 
called you to come back as well, in addition to starting to move your body and, and meeting your husband. I want you to touch on both of those. Oh, yeah. So when I was, in, I was living in Cabo San Lucas and I was still battling my bulimia, I was working out, I was eating healthy, but I still, I had something in my mindset that just was not getting me out of my cycle. It's a habit. It's really a habit that I had to break because it just was so natural for me, the purge cycle, that it was like, it would like if I didn't do it one day, I would almost like it was almost like not drinking water. Like it was just part of my routine. So I went and saw this lady, Michelle, and she was someone that I met. She had a vision board workshop. So we did this vision board workshop. And I sat down with her and I was like, just talking to her. And she was like, why don't you come have like a session with me and talk to me? I think you need to talk to someone. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. She's like, it's on me. Just come and talk to me. I was like, okay. So I went to talk to her and literally just all these emotions came out. Like I'm still bulimic and I'm putting this front out on YouTube that I'm this healthy person and I'm really not like I have this problem. And it was just this whole thing. And she really helped me. Like I was already kind of meditating and I knew what it was, but she helped me learn how to come back to myself. And she helped me learn to use affirmations to, um, get out of my habit. What are some of your favorite ones? I love my body. I'm strong. I love my body. I'm strong. I love my body. I'm strong. Uh, another one was I'm better than this. I'm better than this. So like whenever I would want to purge, I would just say I'm better than this because I am better than that. Like, but at the time I just needed like a phrase that I could keep repeating in my head that would help me realize what I was doing and break the habit. Because like I said, it was becoming a habit. I knew it wasn't good for me. I knew that working out and eating a healthy diet was the way to go, but I just, like I said, it was a habit. So she helped me break the habit cycle And then a book that I read when I lived in Thailand and I was having like a really hard time adjusting to the new life was uh, Gabby Bernstein's May Cause Miracles. Mm -hmm. And she is just such a light on this planet. I love that lady. Like she has no idea the big impact she's made on my life as well as many others. But that book really helped me see that, you know, it really helped me see that there's stories that we tell ourselves in our head and you can change that story. And by changing that story, you can shift your perspective on your life and what is happening in your life. And instead of seeing everything as a negative thing, you can start to shift your perception and see the good, the light. And once you start seeing all the good that's around you, I feel like more good comes into your life. So those are the two things. That's lovely. And and I love both of those resources as well for you, because I think that Again, having that person to stand in the mirror and say, look how strong you are. I talked on one of the earlier episodes I did of the podcast, I believe it was episode seven about a concept called spiritual bypassing, where we use spiritual affirmations like, like focus on the good, or this must all be me working out my karma, or everything happens for a reason, it's all in the divine plan to literally bypass the pain that we feel when events happen. How do you keep yourself from bypassing the pain and actually allowing yourself to feel the pain and then bring in those spiritual tools. So I have two things I do. I have a trampoline in my my room. I love this response. I was not expecting this. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. (laughs) 
Yeah, so you t- I have my rebounder. It's called a rebounder, but for those who don't know what a rebounder is, it's basically a tiny little trampoline. It's mm-hmm. It just takes a little corner of my room. And if I start getting frustrated or I start, you know, feeling emotional about something or emotions start coming back to me, I kind of take five deep breaths. Five is usually my number. And then I start bouncing on my trampoline. And when you bounce on a trampoline, you can't help but laugh. I mean, it just brings so much joy into you that I feel like if I know that that's there. So if I have to go back and like right now, I'm actually doing a course to learn how to do like a TED talk, a TEDx talk. And yeah, so I had to go back to my story. I had to relive my story. That was one of the exercises. So I went outside under the moonlight, which I love the moon. And I sat there and I, I, you know, I sat with a piece of paper, let all those feelings out. And then when I was done and I knew I was done writing, I just had the, you know, you just know when you're done, you're like, I'm done. I went upstairs and bounced on my trampoline for a few minutes and started laughing. And I realized, you know what, that's my story. I'm here to serve with that story, but you know, I can't let it drain me and I can't let it stop me from being happy. Literally moving energy. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if anyone's listening, if you bounce on a trampoline, you will laugh. Like it's just guaranteed. I just absolutely (laughs) love this. That was so not the answer I was expecting. And I'm very happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to, I want to know now thinking back to your previous losses, the mentality of lack, and then thinking about your life today, when you hold up these two pictures to each other, how is your life different now? And where does loss come into your story today when it happens again? Now I see life a lot differently. So before I just always felt like something was pounding me down and I wasn't ever going to be able to climb out of the hole. And now I see it as this is happening for me, not to me. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to go through the process. And I think it's completely healthy to go through the process. It's having the tools to get yourself back on your feet, get your ass in gear and empower your body, empower your mind and get back into living. And we're so blessed to be on this planet living. And if you let things like a divorce or a a death or a business closing down stop you from doing that, then you need to get either professional help, you need to read a book, you need to seek an answer, you need to find a coach and get yourself out of it because that's not living your life. Being stuck in misery is just weighing you down from, from being the bright shining star that you're meant to be there. Oh, that's a great mentality to end on. And with that, I want to um, have you tell everybody in your own words where they can find you, how they can work with you, if you're local, social media, all that jazz. Sure. So um, I have a website. It's just my name, CourtneyViolettBentley.com. There's workouts, uh, motivation, all kinds of cool stuff on there. Um, on social media, I'm at CBentleyFit, Bentley like the car fit on Instagram. I have a podcast as well called Fit, Fierce, and Fabulous. And uh, I talk to empowering women who've gone through struggles as well. And we talk about, you know, a healthy wellness, fit, fierce, fabulous lifestyle and how to do that. 
And also I am a coach. So I do health, wellness, and mindset coaching. So I'm a behavioral change specialist as well as a certified personal trainer. So I help my clients break habits, break down limiting beliefs, use affirmations, use tapping, and uh, change their mindset so they can live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on, coming back today. I'm so thrilled to have been able to talk to you and hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you to Courtney Violet Bentley this week, creator of the Fit, Fierce, and Fabulous podcast, who came back by having aha moments with several intuitive women, rediscovering movement in weights and on a tiny trampoline, and reading Gabby Bernstein's book, May Cause Miracles. You can check out Courtney's work at CourtneyViolettBentley.com or by searching Fit, Fierce, Fabulous wherever you listen to podcasts. Please call or write in with your thoughts on grief and the five love languages by September 20th, 312-725-3043 or Shelby at ShelbyForSythia.com. I cannot wait to do this second fun one episode with you. You can join me tomorrow, August 31st on Facebook Live at one o'clock Chicago time. We'll talk about what it's like to be the partner of someone who's grieving. Please subscribe and tell a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through. A big, big ginormous thank you to Mr. Addie Goldstein who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Scythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby for Scythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com subject line podcast. As always, my beautiful grief growers, it was amazing sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am so proud of you and the work that you're continuing to do in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.